The Real Chemistry Podcast connects the dots between our guests and the innovative work they do to show up and shape the future of healthcare. Why? So you, the listener, are encouraged to join us on our relentless pursuit to make the world a healthier place for all. Some may call it idealism. We call it real chemistry. Good afternoon. I'm Aaron Strout, the Chief Marketing Officer of Real Chemistry and the host of the Real Chemistry Podcast Show. Today, I almost don't feel like we need a a real introduction, uh, but you're going to be hearing me chat with my esteemed colleague, Mary Stutz. Mary is our Chief Global Health Equity and Inclusion Officer, and we're going to take a little bit of a unique approach today. She is doing four different talks over the, the back half of the year um, we're going to talk a little bit about what she's going to talk about. I think the content itself you'll find fascinating. You'll find out where you can connect with her. And at the very end, we might do a fun little what she's reading and what she's binging. Um, so with that, please take a listen. I know it will be worth your time. And uh, as always, I hope you enjoy. Well, Mary. Uh, as they say, third time's a charm. And I say that knowing that the first two uh, interviews that we did were equally lovely. Um, today is going to be fun. It's going to be a little bit of a different format because we at Real Chemistry are fortunate to have someone like you that is so well-recognized in the industry. I think a lot of what we're going to talk about is some of your upcoming events, and in particular one that's coming, um, it's called the Biocom California HR Conference for Life Sciences. And you have a very, very cool topic, and we're going to tease out some of the things that you're going to be speaking about, because knowing you, and I've known you for a number of years now beyond real chemistry, um, you live and breathe these, and you really do truly believe in them, and you believe in the intersectionality, which I think is a really critical piece. We talked about that earlier this year at the Health Equity Summit that we did, the Real Health Equity Summit that you and Joel partnered with us to, to put on. So... Let's start by telling us, um, and we'll provide information to all this, but this is October 12th in San Diego. Uh, Tell us about the title of the event and give us sort of the broad brushstroke, and then we'll dig into some of the details of what you're going to talk about. Yeah, thank you, Aaron. It's so great to be on with you again, talking about all the great things that are going on right now. This is an exciting time uh, to be working in this space and doing all the great work that you and I have been doing uh, for a long time. And uh, this particular um, event that's coming up is uh, the HR in Life Sciences uh, Summit. And the goal is to really help the HR professionals understand what needs to happen and what they should be thinking about as we are moving forward um, to continue to improve health equity, to continue to grow and build the life sciences industry. And so my theme and title is Power to Transform, because I, I just love that title. And I'm going to be painting a picture, quite frankly, of the environment that we're all going to be working in and looking to transform healthcare to be more innovative, more inclusive, more digitally driven, more equitable, more compliant, uh, for lack of a better word, and ultimately more profitable because profit is a good thing. No, it is. And I love the fact that you're so inclusive of the things that you're talking about, because I think someone might expect that you coming in with your title overseeing, I'm going to mention it, you know, I mentioned it in the upfront, but just reminding people that you are the Chief Global Health Equity and Inclusion Officer here at Real Chemistry, 
Although unlike some companies, you actually work on client business. You have a lot of different sort of roles within the company, but you're helping our clients transform their businesses. So you're not just an HR function person internally focused, you know, trying to make sure we're meeting certain internal, you know, criteria. We're actually doing work outside of real chemistry, which I think is so important. But I want to go through the different things that you just sort of ticked off and talk a little bit about what those mean, because like I said, some of them, I think people might expect equitable would fall under your umbrella, but, you know, more digitally driven. I, I think that feels like, wow, okay, Mary's like, she's wearing a lot of different hats and she's putting on sort of a much, much bigger picture uh, view of this. So why don't we start with the equitable piece? I think that's one, again, that people would expect, but tell us what that means to be, you know, transforming and making companies more equitable. Yeah, I think that that is that is definitely a huge focus for me and something that I've pretty much focused on across my career. I actually have never been an HR uh, leader in any of the companies where I've worked. I've had much broader responsibilities for corporate relations and even public affairs, public policy. Um, and this is, but whatever those roles were, um, I've always had that focus on health equity and inclusion and diversity. And so the challenge and why this is, is such a big area for me, in addition to my own personal um, commitment to want to help drive health equity and help root out um, disparities, I also am a corporate executive, having worked for many companies, Fortune 500 companies over my career. So I understand uh, the benefit and the value of what these companies bring to society. And it's very concerning to me to know that if you look at across the health ecosystem, these health uh, disparities and the inequities are costing our system uh, $320 billion in healthcare spending. And so this is huge and it's projected to grow even to as much as a trillion by the time we get to 2040. And these are the most recent numbers that Deloitte uh, released about the cost of the inequities to our system. So that to me, that that's the cost in not just the cost as far as profit and revenue, but it's the cost in lost productivity and uh, wages and access to innovation. And that's not even including the lives that are being lost because people are not able to get equitable care. So for me, when I'm looking at kind of zeroing in on the things that I think are important for us to be focusing on across the industry. Certainly, um, when we look at the environment that we're going to be working in, we have to look at the impact of things like the new FDA guidelines, which, which um, you know, we were given a precursor to those during our, our summit. Why don't you, just for those listening in, because I think that's an important one, that, and that was one of their top three priorities, and we did find this out at, you know, doing our, our footwork for the, the health equity summit early this year, you know, just letting people know that may not be tracking what that is and why, why that's so important. Yeah. So we asked the FDA, what 
did they see as their role in advancing health equity? And there were three things that Dr. Janet Woodcock said. One is to make sure that the FDA's workforce is representative of the population of the U.S. And the reason I love these three and they're so etched in my mind is because I think these should be the three priorities across our whole industry. So making sure our own workforce is reflective of the, the population of the United States. The, and that was because it's the FDA and they only service the United States. But the second thing she said is to make sure that the clinical trials are reflective of the population of the people with the disease. And this is very critical because this is what's driving a lot of the inequities when you have people of color who are not even being offered the option of participating in clinical trials, which not only hurts them, but it also hurts uh, the whole demographic because the therapies are not being based on their DNA and how the disease shows up in them. So that second piece is huge. And they've said, we are not gonna approve therapies if you don't have that reflection of the population. But then the third thing they said, which was just super exciting to me, because I did the industry's first diversity in clinical trials uh, initiative when I was at Genentech. And this was one of the findings there, which is that uh, the diverse populations under historically marginalized populations, underserved populations are not being given access to the latest, most innovative therapies. And they and she said that that is another focus that the FDA now will be paying attention to. So that piece is critical. This is an environment in which we are working. And so when we talk about, for example, healthcare uh, professionals and not just the HR leaders, uh, but the leaders of the organization, they need to understand these new requirements. And also for them, this is even uh, a more important a reflection for them of why they need to build inclusive cultures in their companies, because we have a tremendous workforce shortage in the healthcare industry. Endpoints just published an article uh, yesterday about the fact that we don't have enough workers doing clinical trials, especially like uh, clinical trial coordinator workers so that we are actually having to turn people away uh, from participating in the clinical trials because we don't even have the workforce uh, to be able to staff them. And people are, are, the great resignation is happening. And a lot of this points to the lack of inclusion, the lack of opportunity to grow and develop and uh, making sure that we are managing that whole kind of talent life cycle is going to be critical uh, for everyone working in in the life sciences industry right now. Well, that totally makes sense. And you actually brought up a couple of things that will be good segues into this next point, because you did mention um, digitally driven, right? Yeah. And I think before I do that, because Mary did mention Genentech, but I think one of the things that does give you so much legitimacy, Mary, is, you know, you've worked at places like Kaiser Permanente, right? So on the payer Mm -hmm. side, you've worked at places Mm -hmm. like Bayer, in addition to Genentech, United Health Group, you know, BMS, then you crossed over and worked at Comcast. Um, you worked at Samit uh, Advanced, Stanford Health. And so it gives Mary like a such a good broad view to see how all these, some within the industry, some outside the industry come together and where I think there are patterns. One of the things I want to touch on though is, and not to take away from your Biocom uh, keynote, you have another webinar coming up. So we'll just point that out while we're doing this. Mm-hmm. 
And I think this plays into that both inclusive as well as digitally driven because we have um, some friends we're doing a webinar with on uh, October 18th, 1.30 to 2.30 p.m. Eastern time. We'll have this on the Rail Chemistry site, Science 37 and H1. Maybe talk a little bit about how companies like that are helping the companies that we're talking to in the life sciences space become more digitally driven and think you know, about not only diversity in clinical trials, but doing it at scale and in a more efficient way. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that I highlight so much is the fact that we will never be able to advance health equity and move the needle without uh, strategic alliances and non-traditional partnerships. And so the three partners came together to look at how we can help advance and move the needle, not only with increasing the amount of diversity in clinical trials as the FDA is asking to do, but to also put a metrics um, measurement process and infrastructure and framework in place, which was something that was not included in the FDA guidelines. But to give you, Aaron, a little bit better sense of what I'm talking about, especially when you think about digital. Um, so the ability to do decentralized clinical trials, to do hybrid versions of that, but also to be able to use some of these new digital platforms to help mitigate for HCP healthcare provider bias. We need to develop leverage and advanced technologies that are going to mitigate for that healthcare provider bias. Because at the end of the day, the providers are the ones who control whether people are invited to participate in the clinical trials. They're the ones who control whether you get access to new therapies. And they're that the specialists who are the, these are who we're talking about, who become trial investigators and all that. There is not a lot of diversity there. A lot of folks are focusing a lot of money right now on building out that pipeline of diverse investigators of people of color and more women. But it's going to take decades for us to get up to where we need to be. So we need to be able to hold the uh, providers accountable that we have, one. But we also need to develop innovative AI and digital solutions that will help mitigate for physician bias. And that's why I'm so excited about this partnership and what our goals are and what we're aiming to do. These are some of the things that that we'll be talking about there, but these are some of the things you'll be hearing more from me talking about as we are focusing on that even here at Real Chemistry. We're looking at leveraging our AI and our digital capabilities even more, but I have some big ideas of, of where we need to focus that even more as we're doing research and testing this out. Well, you know, you also reminded me of something, this woman that we're good friends with and we spent some time at South by Southwest with earlier this year, Dr. Sheree Butts from Biogen, and she is, you know, in their clinical department. And one of the things, this is sort of outside of AI, I think realizing all of the things you just said, um, if you want to be innovative, she said, you know what, I realize we don't have enough sort of diversity in. Why don't I just go and spend some time with some of these investigators, tell them what it is we're looking for. She happens to be a woman of color, but I think just said, look, this is how you can go and find the people you're looking for. And lo and behold, filled the trials that they were doing with exactly the people that they wanted to. And so I think sometimes, obviously, AI is front and center, but, you know, we're all about AI and ideas here at Real Chemistry. Don't forget about the ideas part and the how do you make sure you use that common sense and some of those approaches where it's like, you know what, if I want to change people's minds, maybe I just go and talk to them and tell them 
what I'm looking for, maybe find out sort of where some of the stumbling blocks are for them. So I'm sure you'll have other examples of innovation and innovative approaches in your, your talk. Yeah, and hold them accountable. So that's the other piece, Aaron, is that a lot of the companies, quite frankly, are uh, even if you work with them and give them this great strategy on how to recruit um, a good cross section of the folks most impacted by the disease, you know, most of them turn that over to a contract research organization. And you have to hold those CROs accountable to meet your metrics and your goals and build that into your contracts. And going at, and you do have to go out and visit them like Dr. Butts talked about to actually talk to them, see what they're doing, see what their challenges are, but also for them to see the face of the client and, and make sure that you are there to, to hold them accountable. That piece is huge. But also one of the things that so intrigued me when I was at Stanford and, and you know, at Stanford, they have a whole AI like center of excellence. But one of the things they were testing when I was there was this AI that would listen as the physicians were having their um, doing their exams with their patient. And the AI is listening to the conversation, not only listening to the physician, but listening to the patient, because that's what we hear from so many historically marginalized patients is the doctor didn't listen to me. I told them that I had all these problems or concerns and they didn't listen, which is why Dr. Butts was saying, you know, one of the big challenges is the, the lengthy time to diagnosis for underserved populations, which means they are so far advanced, they're already at stage two or three or more of their disease before they're even diagnosed. But the AI is listening so that by the time the physician finishes that exam and, and that conversation and gets back to their office at the end of the day, the AI has already done the research, found all the possible things that could be going on, possible treatments, um, possible tests and screenings that need to be done and give that to the physician when they get there. That's the kind of AI I'm talking about. It helps to mitigate for the physician bias and possibly even just for their tight timeline of you know how, how long they have to spend time with the patient. Well, you know, it's interesting because one that's fascinating, I, I've heard sort of of tales, but I didn't realize that, you know, you had firsthand experience with that. And I think not only is that great from a practical perspective, but I'll just give an analogy, right? And so anyone that's ever driven a car or been a passenger in the car, right? So first of all, if you've ever, like I drive over the, the um, sorry, the Bay Bridge all the time. And so once in a blue moon, I'm a passenger and I get to look around and I see all these things that I've never seen before because I'm so focused on my task at hand, right? So you can imagine as a healthcare professional, if you're seeing a patient, you've got a you know routine, you're trying to get certain things done, like the listening to some of the nuances around how the client responds, there's all this other rich information that you would never get just because you're not focused on that, right? So I can see how powerful that would be in not only speed to diagnosis, but also making the, the job easier for the physician and capturing some of this sort of surround sound that you wouldn't ever get. So I love that example. I do want to get to the last bullet, um, profitable, because I think a lot of people don't think about profitability when you think about sort of health equity and inclusivity, because it gets billed a lot of times as the right thing to do. We know that there are economic studies that demonstrate that it actually is better for your company, but talk a little bit about that more profitable piece that comes with some of the things that you're talking about, being inclusive, being more equitable. 
Yes. So we already know that companies that have this culture of include what I call inclusive diversity, not just diversity of hiring the workforce, but where folks are actually included and empowered, those companies have better uh, financial outcomes. Those companies that have more diversity, even on their board of directors, are also more financially profitable. Um, But as we look even deeper at our industry, you also have these challenges when you don't have that inclusive culture of losing people. And we know that if it costs up to 18 months of salary to replace a worker who leaves your organization that have to be trained. And even as we are looking at the challenges now with recruiting for diverse clinical trials, um, in the article, they were talking about how even if, if you replace a clinical trial staff coordinator, for example, it's going to take six months to a year to get that person actually up to speed and trained. So this is why uh, the understanding about the impacts of having an inclusive culture financially on the business but also, as I mentioned, the impact of the health inequities. So even what I just said about physicians not prescribing the newest, most innovative therapies to historically marginalized or underrepresented patients. Do you, do you know what that's doing to your commercialization and your marketing plans, that, that the newest therapies are not even being offered to these patients? So you're leaving money on the table. And a lot of that, quite frankly, Aaron, has to do with bias. Um, People assume immediately a lot of times when they see a diverse uh, patient, especially uh, from a historically marginalized population. And by that, I mean African-American, Hispanic, or indigenous, they immediately assume uh, that they are uninsured. And remember, underserved does not mean uninsured, unemployed, uneducated does not mean that folks are on Medicaid, but that is the perception. So there's no real effort to recruit and to uh, market to uh, the historically marginalized populations, the majority of whom are well-educated, well-employed, well-insured, and financially able to make the co-pays. Well, it's interesting because uh, I think you've connected with him, but uh, a few episodes ago, we had a gentleman named Marcus Sawyer, who we've also had on a couple of times from the EQ community. Yeah. Um, he's the CEO and founder, and he talks a lot about some of the things you're talking about of getting mm-hmm. you know diversity into the boardroom, into the leadership team, and some of the benefits. And I think you know he talks a lot about the underserved and the importance of that word particularly, and that just because you are underserved does not mean that you're not capable of a lot of the other things. It's you just have not had this sort of access to, right, or the opportunity to. I do want to touch on two other things as we wrap up, Mary, because, you know, again, your speaker schedule this year is busy, but I'm doing this not necessarily, maybe a little self-promotion, but also, you know, so people can capture you at a variety of different places, whether it's at the Biocom California HR conference in San Diego, whether it's at that webinar we talked about, but you're also doing a panel at the HBA annual conference. This is the Healthcare Business Women's Association. You're on the board. Uh, you have an event on uh, November 2nd. Let's tell people where it is, and then let's talk a little bit about the panel that you're going to be focusing on there. Yeah, thank you. Um, so HBA has its annual conference coming up um, in Philadelphia, uh, November uh, first through the fourth, 
And um, it's going to be an amazing global gathering of women from and, and men from around the world. And we'll be focused very much on the, um, the advancement of women, the role of women within the healthcare system, um, and how to continue to even develop them more, mentor them more, address um, a lot of the issues impacting women in the workplace, like uh, the tremendous impact that COVID has had on women in the workplace and this mass uh, exodus of women from the workplace uh, because of COVID and how we can work to get women back into the workforce, but also to get women promoted and elevated, especially women of color into more leadership positions. So my panel on the second is called Expanding Leadership capabilities within the healthcare ecosystem. And so we're going to have a panel of leaders who are going to be talking about what are the capabilities that women need to have? Uh, what are the ones that possibly need to be expanded? And again, how can we work to get more women into positions of influence across the entire healthcare ecosystem? So important. And then speaking of, we have one more, which is also a very big deal. And that's in Las Vegas on Tuesday, November 15th at the health conference, HLTH. If you haven't heard of this conference, I would strongly recommend you check it out because it's quickly becoming such a great convergence of um, life sciences companies, payer providers, digital health. And it's really where the important innovation conversations are taking place at scale. Tons of CEOs, Lots of, you know, chief commercial officers, chief marketing officers, very important place to be. And you're two things. One, the way they picked their panel. So this is one we had submitted you for. We're not paying to play here. Um, but we submitted you just sort of as a speaker. And they said, OK, we reserve the right to pair you up with whoever we see fit. And we choose the topic. Right. I think it was a pretty good topic that they paired you up with. But it's really focused on this new concept or newer concept of a you know chief health equity officer. And so, you know, you're moderating this panel. Um, you're on with the chief health equity officer at Humana, CVS Health, Deloitte, and Sutter Health. Like, so kind of a big deal. And let's talk a little bit about sort of what the, the theme there is and like, you know, how do you drill into this new phenomenon and talk about the importance of that? Yeah, this one is super exciting as well. Um, so this, and the title is about going beyond the press release, right? Because at the end of the day, as, as COVID has shone the light on the inequities and we have the real data and the proof now that there are real challenges and a real need that a lot of us who've been working in this space have been saying for decades, but now people really believe it. And so all of these companies now have created this new role, which I think is amazing because it, it means that they are taking this very seriously. And even in California, they are mandating that some of the healthcare provider companies have to actually hire a chief health equity officer or someone with that responsibility. But a lot of companies have proactively um, created these roles. And again, I was in one of the first ones when I was at Stanford and we created that role back in 2019. Um, but the interesting thing is that everybody issued a press release uh, when they hired these um, new chief health equity officers, it is a new role. It's a new kind of career category. And so what we're going to be talking about is how these chief health equity officers are actually developing their strategies. Um, how are they prioritizing? Because again, advancing health equity is 
huge. It's monumental. It is not a quick fix. It's going to take long-term approach, very intentional strategies and approaches. Um, It's going to take people, workforces, resources. And so we're going to talk about how these folks have moved beyond just being announced in a press release to actually start addressing uh, health equity and advancing health equity within their organizations, what they're doing now, as well as what they perceive and and, uh, think that they're going to need to do in the future. What does success look like in the future? It's going to be really good. Well, I can't wait to see it. And I can't think of a better person to lead, you know, this group of very important players in the healthcare space, right? I mean, one could argue those are maybe four of the most important because they are driving, you know, what drugs get reimbursed, you know, what therapies. One of our primary points of getting our care now at a CVS as the world changes. And then Deloitte, who's always been a big player in helping companies formulate, you know, how they move forward. So um, thank you so much for sharing all that. I do want to end on a fun note. We're not going to ask for the deserted islands. I've already asked you that a couple of times. And I'll give you a second to think about it because I'm doing this completely um, off script. But I would love to find out from Mary Stutz, what is maybe the most recent show that you're binging right now on Netflix or Hulu or any music that's sort of like an earworm or a book that you're reading. So we'll we'll not assume that you're doing any one of those things, but anything in particular you'd like to share with the audience that's really get your attention these days. Well, interestingly, one of the books that I'm reading that I'm super enjoying was actually given to me as a gift by Jewel Jones on my team. And it's called My Grandmother's House. And it's a great book um, with uh, one of the well-known women pastors who is talking about her life growing up in her grandmother's house and what that was like and how it has all evolved, um, you know, now to what her life is like. And and again, the impact that that had on her, her grandmother's faith, her own faith, and how she's using that to to deal with the world today. I'm going to have to, and I don't have it in front of me, unfortunately. Yolanda Nicole Pierce. Yes, Yolanda Nicole Pierce. And it is just the most amazing book. Um, And so I am loving it right now. But I will say binging, I am from Chicago. So, and my sister, uh, you know, is here with me and she's a retired Chicago police officer. So we are binging all of the Chicago uh, series. So on Wednesday nights, uh, Chicago Med, Chicago Fire, and Chicago PD for the police department. So we've been, we're binging those right now. I love it. <laughs> on uh, NBC, by the way, Comcast NBC Universal. A <laughs> uh, company you know a little bit about, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Um, this is Aaron Stroud. I am the Chief Marketing Officer and the uh, day-to-day host of the Real Chemistry Podcast. And I think many of you have met her before. You've probably heard a couple of her podcasts, but Mary Stutz, our Chief Global Health Equity and Inclusion Officer. Thank you so much, Mary. And I implore all of our guests listening in today, make a point, whether it's virtual or in-person, go and see Mary speak. She has very interesting and, and insightful points of view. And I think you can tell based on our conversation today that lots of important topics moving the industry forward. Thanks, Aaron. Want more episodes of the Real Chemistry Podcast? We post a new episode every Thursday. Subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Stitcher app, or iHeartRadio via the Health Podcast Network. Go to realchemistry.com for more info.